1: Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary.
2: Hello and welcome to Breaking Down Bad Books, a podcast analyzing trashy bestsellers from a literary perspective. And today we're looking at chapter 17 of 365 Days. So we left off, they got back from their little road trip. They confronted Martin and we found out that there's a wedding coming up for a long lost cousin. I'm assuming it's a long lost cousin because we've never heard about the cousin. So she tells us the next two days were ordinary. They just ate breakfast together and watched TV before they went to sleep. Married life already, even though they've only just been engaged. And then on Saturday, she's spending the morning rummaging around her closet searching for the perfect outfit. And she's like, oh no, I left all my good clothes in Sicily. I've got nothing to wear to the wedding today. And I don't know why she didn't uh, pick out an outfit for the wedding over the past two days where all she was doing was eating breakfast and watching TV. She probably could have tried to plan ahead an outfit at that point in time, but no, it's the morning of the wedding and she has nothing to wear. And then Massimo says, are you all right? And she says, nothing but the standard dilemma of half the women in the world. I don't know what to wear. This book is just so anti-feminist. <laughs> it's, it's the problem of half, half of all women in the world, apparently, just not knowing what to wear. And then he walks over to his side of the closet and he's like, oh, I've got something for you. And he pulls out a hanger covered with fabric sporting a Chanel logo. And she's delighted, she's jumping to her feet, she's immediately unzipping it. And she sees a short nude silk dress with short sleeves and a very deep neckline. It was perfect, simple and modest. Simple and modest. She always thinks all her outfits are modest, but to me, a short nude silk dress with a deep neckline, I mean, I don't think that's modest. And then Laura says, thanks, how can I ever repay you? And then immediately she's on her knees uh, facing his crotch. And she says, I'd love to show you how grateful I am. <sighs> God, we're just going straight into it. So she starts going down on him. She says this was something she loved to do. She adored his taste and the way his body responded to her touch. Blurgh. And then I must be thinking what I'm thinking because he says enough. And he pushes her away and pulls up his pants. After a dozen seconds or so, (laughs) a dozen seconds, which is an interesting measurement of time, a dozen seconds. Okay, so after a dozen seconds of blowing him, he's like, enough. He says, you can't always get what you want. Also, you'll be late to the hairstylist. And she's disappointed. She stays on her knees, frowning and horny, but then she looks at her watch and she's like, oh, I am running late. So she rushes down to the kitchen, quickly gulps down a cup of tea and grabs a sweet roll from the table. And then after the first bite of the roll, she feels nauseous, Uh uh-oh, and she sprints to the bathroom and vomits. And this girl, she's always nauseous. She's always vomiting. I suspect that that pregnancy test was a false negative because she's gotta be pregnant at this rate. She's vomiting every time she eats something. Or it's all the medication that everyone shoves down her throat while she's unconscious. I mean, that could be part of it. But she tells Massimo that it's just stress. The thought of Massimo meeting her parents scares her. And then Massimo says, would you feel better if I fuck you so hard you won't be able to sit down? (laughs) And his expression was comically serious. (laughs) And then she's considering it. She's like, "Hmm, I did just vomit, but sure. Sex might actually help me release the tension. So then he... Pulls her down to the living room, takes down her pants, and he tells her to show show her that sweet ass, and he'll do it fast and hard. You'd want to be fast. I mean, she's already running late to the hairdresser. She's already running late. She could only gulp down a cup of tea and grab a sweet roll, and now, and now she's now she's blowing a boyfriend. I mean, she'd also vomited. That would have taken up some time, so she's really late at this point. And he's like, may as well do you fast and hard. So at least it's fast. You could be as fast as you want. She's still late, but it worked. She was more relaxed and calmer. And so she goes to the hair salon and then an hour passes and she's back home. So we skip over the hair salon. So uh, unclear if she was late and if the hairdresser was mad at her, we're, we're left in the dark on that one. But when she gets home, Massimo's not there. So she tries calling him and he doesn't pick up. And she's like, oh, that's weird. And then she says after two more hours and about 30 more calls, she's starting to get really pissed off. <laughs> so she's calling him 30 times in two hours. That's a, that's a lot of times. I, I think maybe at your 10th missed call, have a break. If he's not answering your first 29 calls, he's not gonna answer your 30th one. But she doesn't even leave it there. She crosses the street to go to the other apartment. Because remember there's another apartment across the street where all of his goons hang out. And nobody opens the door. So she's she's pissed off now because she's gonna run late for this wedding. It's a whole day of running late. So she doesn't wanna be late, but she also doesn't wanna get there on her own. She decides to grab the keys to the BMW and she takes the elevator to the garage. So she's driving there and then about 10 miles before her destination, she glances in the rear view mirror and she notices a car quickly gaining on her. And the car overtakes her and then... Blocks her way, so she's got to stop her BMW, and it's the black Ferrari in front of her. And Massimo gets out, and he's in his wedding suit, so he looks good. And then he opens the door, and he's like, "Come on, I had business," and she's like, "Not having it." So they're in the middle of the street. She's always stopping a car in the middle of the street, this woman, and so she's refusing to budge because she's angry. But then a black SUV stops behind her car. So so she's building up traffic and he says, if you don't step out of that car right now, Laura, I'll have to pull you out by force and that might ruin your look. And of course, her look is the most important thing to her. So she's like, fine. So she gets out, she goes into the black Ferrari and then Musimo's taken the driver's seat and he's got a hand on her thigh as if nothing had happened. And he's like, you look gorgeous. And he's like, but I feel something is missing. So he reaches into the glove compartment and takes out a Tiffany's box And she's trying to do her best to not act delighted. She's very materialistic. But meanwhile, that poor guy in the black's SUV parked behind her car is probably still stuck there. Also, is she just gonna leave her car in the middle of the street? I mean, she just abandoned her car in the middle of the road. So the necklace, he puts it on her and it's full of diamonds, of course it is. And then he's like, where's your engagement ring? You have to tell them all sooner or later. And she's like, oh, it's not going to be today. Besides, what am I going to tell them? That I've I've met a guy who kidnapped me and told me he saw me in a vision, that he kept me locked up, threatening to kill you both until I fell in love with him. And now we're going to get married. <laughs> it would be pretty hard to tell your parents that. I mean, she's she's got a point there. And also, you shouldn't really be announcing your engagement at someone else's wedding. I do think that's tacky. So, Laura, I'm on your side here. And then she says, He looks ahead, keeping his eyes on the road. So I guess they've taken off and just left the BMW in the middle of the street. The poor SUV driver's probably honking wildly, just being like, I can't get around you cunts. (laughs) And then she's like, okay, well, how about in a few weeks? That's when I'll tell my mum that we're in love. And then in a few months, I'll tell them we're engaged. It'll be more natural that way, less suspicious. I mean, the fact that you think that your relationship is suspicious, that's... That's worrying. And Massimo's super angry at that. He says, you'll marry me next weekend, Laura, not in a few months or years, in seven days. Seven days. Like, (laughs) is he the girl from the ring? Why in seven days? (laughs) Seven days. (laughs) Uh, I make myself laugh. And, yeah, okay, I feel like this should be something that could be, you know, run past your fiance before you locking it in. But he's like, no, nah, we're, we're doing it in a week. And she's like, excuse me. She's like, I don't know why you're in such a hurry. <laughs> she said, I had assumed we'd get married at the beginning of summer. <laughs> so, so they haven't talked about it. They got engaged a few days ago. And since, since he popped the question, they haven't discussed it. I mean, if I ever get proposed to, I'd be like, oh, thank you, yeah, I can't wait to marry you. Speaking of, when will that be? And I'd be like pulling out my diary and trying to lock in a date. I mean, wedding venues, they fill out pretty quickly. You need to be on your shit when you're planning a wedding. But this pair, they just, they operate in their own universe. And by this point, he's pulled up to the parents' house. So they really did just leave the BMW in the middle of the road. And he says, listen up, baby girl. Next Saturday, you'll become my wife in secret. In a few months, we'll marry again so your parents are happy. Capiche. <laughs> he doesn't say capiche. He says, okay. But he does sort of seem like a kind of guy that would say capiche. He says, I love you and marrying you is the penultimate thing I want to do in my life. And she's like, well, what's the, what's the last thing? And he says, have a son, of course. I mean, is that really the, the, la- the last thing you want to do in your life? get married, then have a son, and and what, die. I mean, there's grandkids. Maybe you want to go on a nice holiday. But no, he just wants to have a son, then die. And she's just sitting in the car, sort of trying to process how her life has changed during the last two months. Remember, because it's just been two months. It's only been two freaking months. And he's built this whole future life on this girl just because he had a vision of her while he was in a coma. And so his, his life's goal is to get with this girl, marry her, have a kid with her, then die. And it's been two months and she's on board. And oh, I don't understand it, but she gets out of the car. She's like, all right, let's get this over with. So the front door opens and her dad greets them from the threshold. And Massimo chuckled and offered a hand to her dad. I don't know what he's chuckling about. Why would you chuckle at someone before you meet them? That's, that's crazy. So they go and sit on the terrace uh, on a couple of, sofa lounge chairs. (laughs) Okay, great. And Massimo, he's staring at Laura, but then something behind her catches his eye and she looks back up and there's her mother wearing an amazing off-white long evening dress, heading their way and gracing Massimo with a charming smile. Okay, kind of living for Laura's mum here, just making an entrance. (laughs) Your guests are downstairs, be seated for my arrival down the staircase. It's very chic. And I guess Musselmo's turned on because she says the man in black stood up dumbfounded, but quickly gathered his wits. And she put on her charm, sending him one of her more breathtaking looks before turning her attention to Laura. One of her more breathtaking looks. I think Laura's kind of turned on by your mother. And so her mum's like, come give me a hand in the kitchen for a sec. And so as soon as she gets into the kitchen, her mum's like, what's going on, Laura? You changed jobs, apartments, how you look, and now you bring an Italian to my house. <laughs> an Italian of all things. And she says, tell me everything immediately. You haven't been entirely honest with me. And maybe it does kind of track that her parents hate Italians because remember how Laura hated Italians for like the first six chapters? So maybe they're a family of Italian haters. Perhaps that's why none of them speak Italian, even though they speak multiple other languages. And Laura says her natural lie detector was working without pause, it had seemed. I mean, they haven't really said anything yet. That would be a lie. But then she does try and lie. She's like, oh, you know, the haircut, I just needed a change. And Massimo, he's a work colleague. I like him and he teaches me a lot. I don't know what to tell you. I've only known him for a few weeks. Yes, but why would you invite him to a wedding then? I mean, she just said on the phone with her mum, like last chapter being like, oh, I'm bringing someone. That's sort of implying to your mother that you're dating this guy. But now she's like, he's a work colleague. Like, well, yeah, but you're fucking. You don't take someone to a wedding unless you're fucking. That's a rule. And her mum's like, I don't know why you lie to me, child, but have it your way. Remember though, that I see a lot and I know my way around people. I also know how expensive that car is. And I don't think that a hotel employee would be able to afford one. Ooh, and she says, besides, I know what diamonds look like. And I've seen Chanel's newest catalog. Remember, dear, that I was the one that showed you what fashion is all about. (laughs) So she clocked her As soon as Laura walked in with Massimo, Clara Beale clocked them. And she's like, fine, well, he's the owner of the hotel. Is that like enough for you? Yeah, we're seeing each other and I want it to become serious. And he gives me nice gifts. And so then her mum looks at her and she's like, well, he's got good taste in women and jewellery. All right, let's go back and meet up with the boys. (laughs) So, I mean, she's won over. This is the woman that apparently is an interrogator, a lie detector test in human form. And she's like, oh, cool. Well, he, he picked out a nice necklace. Let's carry on with the evening. And she couldn't believe it either. She's like, I knew my parents had always wanted me to marry someone rich, but her reaction still completely surprised me. And don't you think it's just so funny that she knows that her parents want her to marry someone rich? Like, how superficial. Most parents are like, I just want my kid to be happy and safe and healthy and and well-loved. But she's like, no, they want me to end up with someone rich. So she's like, come on, Massimo, I'll show you to your room. They go upstairs. And they go to her brother's old room. And did we know she had a brother? Like, it's just whipping out all of these relatives and friends that we've never heard of. But now she has a brother. And she's like, this is where you'll sleep. And then she fills him in on like the, the ruse that he's the owner of a hotel. And then he says, where's your room, baby girl? You don't really expect me to sleep here, do you? And she's like, yeah, I, I do expect that. My parents still think our relationship is strictly platonic. So, let's keep them in the dark for a while yet I mean no they they kind of they kind of would would consider you guys to be fucking if you're taking him to a wedding like I'm sorry, I'm sorry, no one's thinking that you're taking a platonic date to a wedding. It doesn't track, although I did go to a wedding once with my platonic friend Caitlin to her cousin's wedding, so maybe maybe there's a basis in fact here, but generally with straight guy, straight girl relationships with the heroes, If you take someone to a wedding, you're banging. And that's just what I believe. So she shows Massimo her room and he's like, did you have a boyfriend when you lived here? And she's like, yeah, why'd you ask? And he says, did you give him blowjobs in this room? And she's like, whoa, um, <laughs> I, uh, excuse me? And he's like, well, there's no lock on the door. So I'm just wondering how you did it. And she says, I leaned him against the door and knelt in front of him. And then she pushes Massimo against the door and kneels in front of him. She says, he now stood exactly where my erstwhile boyfriend had stood, slowly unzipping his pants. I dropped to my knees and pressed his butt to the door. I mean, they just had sex that morning. This pair are insatiable. And she, oh God, she's, ugh. ugh. she says, I blew him quickly and violently. Ugh. And he says, I like it when you act like a whore after it's done. And she's like, oh, okay, cool. (laughs) And then they go downstairs after she's, oh God, she she says she's wiping her mouth with a hand. Okay. So they go to where the church is in the small town that they're having the ceremony at. And everyone's looking at the Ferrari and she's just like really pleased with that reaction. And apparently when they get out of the car, everyone grew quiet. Just the whole crowd grew quiet, looking at Laura and her boyfriend, Massimo, who who actually isn't her boyfriend. He's just a platonic work colleague. They're all going quiet, just staring at her as if they're acting like she's the bride. I tell you what, if I was this cousin, I would not be happy with Laura stealing the show at my wedding. Mm Oh, and then the brothers there. The, the the prodigal son that we've never heard of, here he is. And he says, hey, sis, I see your fancy stories had something to do with the truth after all. You look awesome. I like your style. What the hell does that mean? I see your fancy stories had something to do with the truth after all. What story? She hasn't spoken to this guy in months. Had something to do with the truth. I mean, what a roundabout way to say, oh, you look good. I haven't seen you in a while how you been? Uh, And then she gives us the rundown on her brother. And oh, wow. I thought she had the hots for a mum, but I think she actually has the hots for her brother. There are incestuous vibes going on. She says, he was my friend, my beloved brother, and to me, an unparalleled ideal. He was also the smartest guy I knew, a true mathematical prodigy and a real stud. When we lived at our parents' house, he scored with all my friends. He was the perfect man. Smart, handsome, stylish, and ruthless. (laughs) And she says he was a tall blonde guy with emerald eyes. What, are you gonna blow him? Are you gonna lean him against the door and kneel down and blow him? (laughs) I mean, please. I don't talk about my sister like that. That's for sure. I think she's a pig in a wig. (laughs) No, I don't. This is very inappropriate. And the brother's name is Cuba, but with a K. Just kind of fun, and she says, Oh, Cuba, how good to see you. I completely forgot you'd be here. You, you forgot that he'd be here at your cousin's wedding that you were also invited to? Why would he not be invited?
1: Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care.
2: you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. And then she says the service was boring as hell and too long. I mean, she really doesn't care about this cousin at all, does she? I mean she forgot the wedding was going to happen. Now she's here at the wedding. She stole the show by arriving in a Ferrari, and then she wanted to bone her brother, and now she's at the ceremony just thinking it's boring and too long, and I'm like maybe you could shed a tear for your for your cousin that's found love. Maybe get your head out of your own ass and focus on something else. But she even says the whole time my entire family was focused on the handsome Italian at my side. This poor cousin is standing in a, in a bridal gown, saying her vows and everyone's focused on the handsome Italian in the fifth row. I don't believe it. And remember it's in a church and she says, the only thing I prayed for during the ceremony was for it to end. What a bitch. And she says, when the party started, the guests would stop oogling my man. Well, now, now she's jealous of her family for staring at her new boyfriend. Maybe if she just came out and said, hey, this is my boyfriend, not a work colleague, they'd be like, oh, okay, cool. I'll, I'll stop trying to hit on him. And then while the couple are reciting their vows, she's thinking about how she's apparently getting married in a week. And she's thinking, oh, what, am I really ready for this? Should I really marry a man I barely know, who terrified me and made me angry on a daily basis? And do I really want to be with someone who won't let me have my own opinions? You know, someone so controlling who always has to be right and have his way and won't allow me to do the things that I love. And then she's like, "Mm, yeah, yeah, that's really what I want to do. She just rattled off a lot of very good reasons to not marry someone. I mean, just one of those things is a good enough reason to not marry the guy. And she's rattled off 10 things And then she's resolved to be like, yeah, it's gonna be great. Can't wait to marry him. If they were a real couple, I'd rock up to the wedding and say, I object. And apparently she looks pale and he's like, are you okay? And she's like, I'm fine. I just haven't had much of an appetite for the past few days because of all the stress, all the stress about this wedding that she didn't remember. And she says, I'm a bit faint, but it has to be the nerves. I mean, I think she's pregnant. I really think she's pregnant. Then she says, we left the church and it was supposed to be downhill from there. What does that mean? Downhill from, th- does she mean literally down the hill? Because I, th- I don't get what she means. It was supposed to be downhill from there. No one, no one is planning for the reception to be downhill. I mean, that's when things are uphill. You get to drink. I think she means it's literally downhill. So the party is getting held at a picturesque, rustic manor, which consisted of several buildings, a hotel, stables, and a great hall. <laughs> okay. And apparently it's downhill from this church. So they get to their table at the reception and she's relieved that Kuba is sitting with them. Which again, I wouldn't be shocked at. Like if I'm doing a seating plan for my wedding, I'm putting siblings together. That's sort of a no brainer. And then because she hasn't really sold us on his attractiveness yet, she says, my brother would usually come to parties alone, trying to pick someone up. He loved it when women gave him their undivided attention, allowed him to woo them and finally landed in his bed. He was a collector. The only way women hurt him was when one in a hundred rejected him, ruining his score. I mean, she knows a lot about her brother's sex life, doesn't she? And the fact that he's a collector, I mean, that." That's some pretty intimate knowledge. And then she notices that there's a spot at the table that's free. And she's like, oh, who's coming? And then she hears someone say, Bon appetit, as she's halfway through an appetizer. And she looks up, and the seat at the table was now occupied by her ex, who she used to practice dancing with. <laughs> she says, The last seat at the table was now occupied, full stop, by my ex whom I used to practice dancing with. I mean, do we need to know that you guys used to practice dancing with? I mean, like what else did you guys do as a couple? Did you play Monopoly? My ex, whom I used to eat meals with, like, okay. And then, and her appetite's gone, so she pushes away the half eaten pumpkin soup. (laughs) So she had like three spoonfuls of soup in two days. I mean, she's gonna faint again. Or if she's drinking tonight, she's gonna pass out pretty quick and the ex that she used to dance with. His name is Piotr. I'm gonna say Peter. I mean, it's spelt P-I-O-T-R, but I'm just gonna say Peter. So Peter took his seat and started nibbling at his food. I mean, if he's got soup as well, I wouldn't describe him as nibbling. I mean, you can't nibble soup, right? You slurp it. And then she gives us a whole rundown on Peter. Peter, someone else we haven't heard of before. So both Peter and Cuba are surprises this chapter. And she says, Peter had been a part of her life that she really wanted to forget. They met when she was 16 and it all started with the dancing and it ended up as a relationship, as it often does. I mean, yeah, that that often happens. You start dancing and then you end up in a relationship. And so he was her instructor and then he became her partner. And then in the end, her tormentor. He had been 25. So she was 16. He was her 25 year old dance instructor, and they started a relationship. In my world, we would call that grooming. But she says all the girls loved him charming, handsome, fit, confident, and a dancer to boot. <laughs> and a dancer to boot. If we know one thing about Peter, it's that he's a dancer. But he had his demons, and the greatest of those demons was cocaine. So then she tells us that he turned into this huge coke fiend. And that when he was doped up, he never thought or cared about Laura. And then she says, at the time I was 17. So she's, she's grown in age. So she's 17 while he's 26. Does that make it any better? I don't think it does. But she spends a full five years with him while he's this coked up dancer boy. She says when Peter was sober, he was great. But she didn't like when he wasn't sober. And that's why she moved to Warsaw to get away from him. So Peter's green eyes are staring at her hypnotically and his full lips stretched into a subtle smile. Now I call bullshit on that. You can't stretch your full lips into a smile and have it be subtle still. I mean, the fact that they're stretched means that there's nothing subtle about it. And she says, what the hell are you doing here? And he says, oh, Maria invited me. Well, her husband did. I've been helping them with their first dance and we grew to be pals. And she's thinking, how can my cousin do that to me? (laughs) Oh, your cousin that you've paid no attention to the whole day. I just think it's such cheap writing that in the last chapter, we got rid of the problem of her ex. We had this Martin storyline for a few chapters where he wanted a winner back and we got rid of him. And now we've got another ex out of nowhere that we've never heard of before. And now it's another problem between her and Massimo. And I'm like, Massimo should be your ex. Make him an ex if you're looking for one. So she storms off to the stables and Massimo follows her. And he says, who was that man, Laura? You grew tense as soon as he showed up. And she says, he's my former dance partner. Oh God. If I hear the words dance one more time, oh. and he's like only a dance partner. So yeah, I heard, I heard the word dance again. I'm not gonna do anything. And she says, Jesus, Massimo, what do you care? He was just my dance partner. (laughs) Dance partner, dance partner, dance partner. I feel like I'm in a Tones and eyes song. Dance partner, dance partner, dance partner. Ho, ho. (laughs) And Massimo's all pissed off. And he's like, how long were you together? And she says, several years. I'd like to remind you, I wasn't exactly a virgin when you met me, no matter how much you try to change that. And he's getting all angry. And I'm like, mate, you just asked her back in her house. In her room, if she used to blow guys in a bedroom and it turned you on, and you you totally loved the idea of her blowing her boyfriend in her childhood home, You, you, you really liked it. And now when you're faced with that reality, you're not appreciating it as much, are you? You double standard piece of shit. So she's furious, she goes back to the building. The first dance was over and the guests were crowding the dance floor. And then her cousin's on the microphone saying, our first dance wouldn't be possible without our amazing instructor. Hey, Peter, come up here. And it's also a happy coincidence that your dance partner of many years, Laura, is here with us too. Why don't you both come up and it would be our pleasure to watch you two dance? What? In what world after the, the first dance do you then invite your dance instructor and your random cousin up? to show you up and do a better dance than you just did. And Peter calls out to the DJ saying, in Reiki Iglesias, bailamos, <laughs> which is a great song. Peter's got some style, doesn't he? And he says to her, oh, so she's walked up. She, she totally walked up to the dance floor. She's like, oh, don't make me dance. Don't make me dance. And then she's on the dance floor and she's gonna do a salsa. And he says, "Yes, yeah, salsa honey buns, let's do it. And she says, oh, thank God it's not a tango when we used to be together, our tangos always ended up in bed. So she totally thinks that if they were doing a tango, they'd end up in bed. Do you really think Massimo would allow that? So her and Peter are in the center of the dance floor. Everyone's watching them. And then she looks out, there's Massimo, wild with rage. And she's like, oops, better go calm him down. So she walks over, she kisses Massimo passionately, And then she walks back on to the middle of the dance floor, spurred on by applause. Everyone's cheering for her. And she goes back to her dance partner. (sighs) And so then they do a full three minute long dance. And when they finally bowed, the cheers and applause were deafening. Poor Maria and her groom. I mean, they're just not getting any attention at this wedding. And apparently her mother is graciously accepting congratulations from dozens of guests. Dozens! Dozens of guests are congratulating her mum just because she danced to Enrique Iglesias. So then she goes back to Massimo. And she says, I couldn't say no, honey. It was only a dance. <sighs> dance, dance, dance. And of course, Massimo just cold shoulders her and he walks off. And then her mum hugs her and she's, close to tears, saying how proud she is of her. All she did was dance to Enrique Iglesias. I don't understand. And then she remembers that Massimo's walked off five seconds ago. She just remembers that. And her mum's like, what's wrong? And she's like, oh, Massimo's pretty jealous. He doesn't like me dancing with my ex. And she says, remember Laura, you can't allow him to act like he owns you. He has to understand you're not his property. And then she narrates, Oh, how wrong she was. I was his property. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Blanca needs to be locked up for crimes against feminism. I mean, uh, ah, So then she's out there searching the entire estate to try and find Massimo. But then through an open window in one of the buildings, she heard a conversation in English and she recognized her brother's voice. So she went that way. How convenient, just through an open window. And then she goes inside to that building, I guess it's a hotel. And she says, I'm looking for my fiance to the receptionist, a tall, handsome Italian. And she's like, yeah, that's apartment 11, third floor. It's a terrible security at this hotel to just be telling people where a guest is staying at exactly. And third floor, his voice is carrying from an open window on the third floor, whilst I assume Enrique Iglesias is, is pumping back at the grand ballroom. Seems pretty convenient to me. And so she gets in there and there's her brother and Massimo. And Massimo's sitting on the leather sofa with a credit card in his fingers and a little pile of white powder in the middle of the glass counter and is arranging it into short lines. So how crazy that she's just told us that she hates cocaine. (laughs) She hates it, hates it, hates it. And now Massimo's a coke fiend. Talk about a coincidence. And then he's full snorting the lines of Coke and her brother's having the time of his life. He's like, this is great, your new man's great. And then Massimo says, if you want to ask me whether you can join us, the answer is no. So he's like, you're not allowed cocaine. And she's like, I would never do cocaine. I had never tried any drugs, not by choice, but rather out of fear. She says, I know what they did to people and how unpredictable they made them. Well, also you have a heart condition. Someone with her heart history should not be having cocaine. That's, that's for sure. But she says the view of them two doing lines brought back the worst memories and feeling of fear that she never wanted to experience again. So she says, Cuba, give us a minute. He racks off to go and hit on some blonde at table three and Massimo's still racking up lines. And she's like, is this how you plan to spend the evening, huh? And he's like, you know what? Your brother's a great guy. I could use him as an accountant. And she's like, he will never join the mob. And he's like, well, that's not up to you. And then she's like, I've had enough of this. I'm, I've am i had enough of not having any influence over what's happening in my life. And so she's fuming, she leaves the room. So there's a lot of storm outs happening at this wedding. I imagine the best man's trying to give his speech and no one's in the hall because everyone's storming out on everyone else. And then she's sitting in a gazebo in the garden. I mean, this is a huge estate and she's just walking up and down and around the whole premises. So she's in the gazebo and then Peter comes up and he says, trouble and paradise. And she's staring at him and she's like, Hmm, I don't really feel like getting up and running away from him. So she invites him to like sit down next to her. You just ran out on Massimo because you saw him racking up lines and you're saying how unpredictable cocaine makes people and it brought back bad memories that you never wanted to relive. So now you're having a conversation with your junkie ex-boyfriend reliving exactly that. And she says to Peter, why'd you come? And he says, because I knew you'd be here. You never respond to my emails. You never pick up your phone. What is it with this girl? I mean, beer flavored nipples, this Laura. Everyone wants Laura. Every ex-boyfriend she's ever had can't get over her. And then she says, you tried to kill yourself in front of me. And he's like, yeah, I was an idiot, but I've been to therapy since then. (sighs) This is just the most bonkers chapter. I mean, it's bonkers. He says he's cleaned up now and he's realized the only woman he wants to be with is her. Even though they haven't spoken in like eight years like after eight years, it's time to move on. It's all very well and good that you have fond memories of dating this underage dance student, but it's time to move on. And she says, Peter, you're the past. I'm living a different life now and I don't want you in it. And he's like, oh, okay. You look beautiful, though. And then she says they just sat there talking about everything that had happened during all those years, about her life in Warsaw and his dance studio, one bottle of wine, then another, and a third. So it's like, I don't want you in my life. Neck minute. They've just spent hours talking to each other. She said they talked about everything that had happened in the past eight years. That would take up a lot of time and multiple bottles of wine. So I assume they're still getting up and going to the bar and going back to the gazebo. Poor Maria is not getting the wedding of her dreams because all her guests are scattered to the winds. People are racking up coke in the hotel. People are walking the stables. People are sitting in the gazebo. No one's paying attention to poor Maria. Poor, poor Maria. And that's the end of the chapter. As one ex leaves, another one comes. And I guess there's gonna be tension in their relationship. Great. Will they get married in, in six days? Who knows? Hopefully we'll find out next chapter. So I'll see you next week. Bye. Send your burning thoughts, frustrations, and grievances on this latest chapter of this shitty book to breakingdownpod at gmail.com or on Twitter at podbreakingdown and Instagram at breakingdownbadbooks. You can visit www.breakingdownbadbooks.com for all the listen links, contact information, merch, and more. To support the show on Patreon and gain access to exclusive ad-free bonus episodes, visit patreon.com slash breakingdownbadbooks. Ratings and reviews on your preferred podcast platform are also a fun, free way to support the show. Breaking Down Bad Books is hosted by me, Nathan Brown, who you can follow on Instagram and Twitter at NathanBrown90. Thanks for listening and happy reading.